This is the Accidental Safety Pro brought to you by HSI. This episode was recorded June 9th, 2022. My name is Jill James, HSI's Chief Safety Officer. And today, my guest is John Lees Mackey, Director of Environmental Health and Safety for Harmon. Harmon is a construction and manufacturing company based in Minnesota. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here. It's been a while since I've had anyone from the from the upper Midwest on the show for a long time. It's like, oh, I can't have so many people from where I'm from. And so um, thanks for being here as a Midwesterner. Yeah. We're in the same time zone. Um, so, John, tell us, um, tell us your story. What is what is your winding path into safety? How did how did this profession find you? Um, so originally I'm from small town, uh, Northern Minnesota, about two and a half, three hours, uh, North of the twin cities. Uh, like I said, grew up in a small town called Taconite, um, uh, mm. which is a fitting name up on the iron range. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to school at a, a school called Greenway high school, uh, which, you know, when you tell people Greenway, they never know exactly where that is. Cause it's the name of the school and not the town, but, um, <laughs> you know, the, it, big, big kind of sports town, big hockey town. Um, kind of played up, played hockey growing up there. Uh, original plan was to go to uh, UMD for uh, pre-med. And yeah, and so when John says UMD, he means University of Minnesota Duluth for all of our listeners who are from various parts unknown. Good catch. <laughs> Sorry <Yeah>. about that. <laughs> um, so University of Minnesota Duluth was known, their medical school was known for um, uh, students who wanted to go back to, to small towns um, to practice. And so that was, um, you know, I loved growing up where I grew up. I just absolutely loved it. Um, always expected myself to be there. So, uh, I started there and, uh, there was uh, talk that they were going to end up closing the, the medical school there and just have a, a single medical school in Minnesota at the, at the, the main university of Minnesota in the twin cities. So from there, uh, kind of dipped back into hockey for a little bit, played some junior hockey, um, which is hockey kind of between high school and college. Mm-hmm. Got recruited by a handful of schools, ended up going to Augsburg College. Um, and from Augsburg, uh, I still had aspirations of, of pre-med. And, uh, and then Augsburg actually has a physician's assistant program that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, so playing college hockey and trying to keep your grades high enough to, uh, to compete, to get into medical school or even physician assistant school, mm-hmm. uh, was not a good combination. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just describing such a, uh, like you're, you're like a archetype for a, for a Minnesotan from Northern Minnesota, a hockey playing family. Um, this is, this is great. Yeah. So, um, from there I'd gotten a, so I was a biology and chemistry double major. Uh, I had taken an internship with Medtronic as a chemist. Uh, so I was kind of working as a chemist and coming to the end of my career. Um, I was still dating my, my high school sweetheart. Um, you know, as cliche as it was, as you know, as I was a hockey player, she was a hockey cheerleader for small northern down <laughs> Minnesota. Um, this is, yep. Every, you know, anyone who's, who's familiar with the Midwest is painting a picture in their mind already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so she was a nurse and so she was, you know, kind of, kind of go anywhere, but our plan had, had been to, to get back to Northern Minnesota. And so I was kind of racking my brain what I could do with a biology and chemistry degree, uh, up in, in the Northern area of Minnesota. 
through a mutual friend, he kind of pointed me to um, a graduate program at the University of Minnesota Duluth for environmental health and safety. Uh, he said, you know, I could hire you now with your current degree, but if you went and got this this master's program, um, you know, I could pay you a little bit more and, and you'd have a little bit more of uh, you know, a, a better chance at some different career aspirations that that could provide you in the future. So uh, I thought that was a great idea. And, and, you know, kind of safety kind of falls into that, that, you know, medicine route of just helping people. Um, and so I uh, attended the program while I was at the program, um, had some great experiences. They, uh, I applied for a scholarship through the, uh, what's called SESHA, which is the Semiconductor Environmental Health and Safety Association. So um, very specific kind of um, safety requirements that are needed for semiconductor just because of the sheer hazards that are involved uh, with that kind of manufacturing. So during that, that college or that, uh, scholarship paper had gotten accepted and they asked some of the students that had, had been accepted for the, the paper to present at their, um, national conference in Scottsdale. Uh, after my presentation, I, I had a couple, um, couple groups reach out and say, Hey, we're, we're interested in, you know, you know, your, uh, you know, possibly a career with us after you finish uh, your schoolwork for the year. So, I had one offer um, that was probably the most solid down in Southern California. And then I'd also um, had an, an offer from Eli Lilly for an internship in Indianapolis. And wow. so uh, small, small town, Minnesota guy had two decisions to make Indianapolis or, uh, or orange. Yeah. Orange County, California. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Yeah. That's a, that's a big decision. Uh, you know, for, for our listeners, John, you and I uh, went to the same graduate school. I also am a graduate of the University of Minnesota Duluth from the program before it was called the EHS program. It was called the um, the Industrial Safety Program. But that's not why I asked you here. You and I just happened to run into each other um, doing some presentations and things, and then and then learned we are alum. So that was kind of that's kind of cool. But at the time, I was going to UMD, University of Minnesota Duluth. Yeah, that semiconductor thing was a big deal. And and most of the people from my graduating class took off for California to work in in that field as well in California. And like you, I wanted to stay in Minnesota. So yeah, I'm I'm hanging on the edge of my chair here to hear what did you decide to do? <laughs> so yes, California it was. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you chase the Did you chase the money or the location? The location. Yeah. yeah okay. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely the location because the yes, the money was there, uh, but most of that goes right back into your rent because uh, of the the mm-hmm. high cost of housing out there. Yeah. Uh, and it is it is amazing the number of uh, University of Minnesota Duluth alums that are still out there that I ran across. Um, wow. So, uh, you know, moved out to Southern California and I was working for a consulting firm uh, at the time was called EORM. So it stood for Environmental and Occupational Risk Management mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of started out of the gate as, as being a, you know, a pump jockey, uh, if you will, doing some, some industrial hygiene sampling for, for various mm-hmm. clients. Uh, then I had a, an opportunity to, uh, to take a full-time, like a 40-hour a week, a full-time contract outsource position. Uh, with a company called Jazz Semiconductor through EORM, right? So it's part of their mm-hmm. part of their contract. And the first guy that I worked for, his name was Eric Moshet, and he was a University of Minnesota Duluth grad. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, if you a uh, guy from Silver Bay, Minnesota. Um, oh, close to where you are. You know, we have these 
Sorry, sorry, guests. You might have to get out a map of Minnesota. John and I know these locations because we're both from Minnesota. But yeah, also from also from northern Minnesota. Hey, John, I gotta ask you quick. When you moved to California, did you still have hockey hair? Uh <laughs> no. I had <laughs> okay. Uh a little bit. I'm trying to think back when I finally yeah. cut it. <laughs> yeah. Um it was yeah. it was more presentable than it was back in my playing days. Yeah. I'll put it that yeah. way. Funny. Okay, so sorry you 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 met another another alum while you're in California. Yeah. So um, yeah. you know, did did some great work in Southern California and and got an opportunity to just learn a lot. Um, I still um, one of my my ending managers that I had in Southern California. I I still talk to you to this day. Um, mm-hmm. Bounce ideas off of her. Um, and then anytime I get to, to Southern California for whether it's work or um, pleasure, I always try to reach out to those guys and, and meet some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, I was, I was promoted um, once pretty quickly and then uh, <laughs> realized, and I remember that same manager when I started, um, you know, when I had a junior, you know, some, some new junior staff underneath me, um, you know, kind of take me aside and say that. You know, you're uh, not everybody works as hard as is that that you know Midwest work ethic is. is so I, oh, interesting. Yeah, I had to learn to slow down on some people. Um, wow. Okay. So, but had a had a fantastic career there. Uh, had an opportunity to take a, a second promotion, but they needed support up in their um, Portland, Oregon uh, offices, and so mm, I had yeah, I headed mm-hmm. up to to Portland, Oregon. Um, again, met another three, four, five different, um, university of Minnesota alums. Uh, wow. We are everywhere. Yeah, it is. It is such <laughs> a small, you know, environmental health and safety is a small world as it is. Um, yeah. but it's amazing the number of, uh, university of Minnesota Duluth grads that are out there. Um, mm, yeah. So for our listening audience, if you're if you're coaching someone, mentoring someone who needs to find a find a home in a graduate program for health and safety, you can look up the University of Minnesota Duluth. They have a good program. They do. I mean, I know mm-hmm. during my my year there, we had, and I think they the the stats still remain. It's something around ninety percent of the students have an offer in hand uh, before the last day of school. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just one of those programs that, that teaches, um, so many hands-on skills that, you know, when you get out in the field, you can really hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Okay. So you're, you're now in beautiful Portland among the pine trees, which looks, you know, a little bit like Northern Minnesota. It does. Um, yeah. and so I, I got started with Intel and Intel has a massive, uh, Ronler Acres campus up there. And so that's where that's probably their largest um US manufacturing location. So wow. I was supporting some of their um their manufacturing facilities and then their R and D facility that was there. And Intel is, you know, 10, 15 years in advance of what your computer can kind of run. Their uh their R and D they call they call it the Death Star um in terms of like <laughs> wow what they were doing and what they were working on. So um, very interesting work. And so like at URM up in the Portland office, my manager was a UMD grad. Um, one of the other senior guys there was a, a University of Minnesota Duluth grad. And then I get to Intel and there was like four or five more uh, alums from the program that were working. Amazing. Yeah. So it was 
Um, it was crazy. We had a, a great time. So started with Intel and then we had another contract that came up with a company called Shinetsu and Shinetsu actually grows the, um, the ingots, like the, uh, the, the silicon ingots that, um, semiconductors are, are made off of. And so, okay. um, basically you have these, you know, three story, um, volcanic reactors growing these things. Uh, so it was, it was interesting. Wow. They needed some support while they were in between, uh, EHS managers. So I got a chance to, to fill in on that role. Um, mm -hmm. and then out of the blue, uh, through mutual contacts, when I was a, a graduate student, uh, a, a professor for, or not a professor, but a, um, manager from Honeywell called and said, Hey, we have one of our guys retiring. Um, would you be interested in moving back to Minnesota? Um, my wife and I had had our first child, uh, and we'd always wanted to get back to Minnesota at some point, but didn't, you know, we weren't expecting it kind of that soon. So I, I only spent one year in, in Portland, Oregon before I got the call from Honeywell. Uh, and so the Honeywell facility that I worked for is out of Plymouth, Minnesota here. Um, one of the suburbs in the twin cities and they do, um, there's, they're a semiconductor plant. So they do a lot of government contracts. Um, they have a number of their specialty is, is kind of semiconductor pieces that are, um, uh, that deal with the radiation that comes from the sun. Um, and so okay. they have mm -hmm. a lot of their components go on like government satellites and the Mars Rover. Um, and so while I was there, I was a senior, uh, they, they use HSE, right? Everyone, every company's got a little different twist of the, the three words, but, yep. um, this mm -hmm. was, uh, I was a senior manager. So I was in charge of, um, the, the management system from all of the safety requirements, all the industrial hygiene requirements, loss prevention requirements, and the um, half of the management system. And that was really my, That's yeah, huge. that was really my first introduction into management system uh, and, and mm -hmm. the way that, that that was laid out and how it was such an integral piece of the, um, of the Honeywell's operating system and, and really how they tied mm -hmm. together. So, uh, working at that plant, we were, uh, you know, large quantity generator. We were, uh, ISO 14,001 certified. And then I helped lead the effort, uh, to get the site to be, um, Minstar certified. So Minstar is Minnesota's version for, you know, VPP or the voluntary protection program through OSHA. Mm -hmm. And, uh, wow. so we had, um, Congratulations yeah, it was, that. it was a big deal. I think at the mm -hmm. time that we did that, we mm -hmm. were like, one of uh, 17 companies uh, at the time that that had gotten it in Minnesota. So um, we did a we had our so right out of the bat you get a you know kind of a one year period of being certified and that gives you um, you don't have to uh, you don't, you're not sus um, susceptible to unannounced inspections. Inspection, yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah. we had the one year and then they came back and they did a the second time we were they said hey all right everything looks fantastic again we're gonna go with the three year. And then right before I left wow. Honeywell, um, we were given a five-year research, which is the max that they do uh, in Minnesota. Wow. And I believe the the last I heard, they are still carrying that uh, carrying that certification on. So a site was oh, congratulations! Yeah, the That's site huge. was very mature um, and gave me a great opportunity to um, continue that learning. And so uh, I always thought that my career started really well being a consultant and kind of getting bits and pieces of different companies kind of seeing what worked mm -hmm. well, what didn't work well. Uh, and then I kind of carried that into Honeywell. Uh, you know, we were, our site was, was really mature. Um, and we had a, um, a great culture there. 
Uh, but then there was also things from corporate that, that frustrated us, right? And so we always thought that um, there were different, at times there were, there were some requirements and stringent, you know, stringent things that they'd asked for that, that, you know, were beyond compliance, which is a fantastic thing to drive to. Um, but sometimes mm -hmm. you wondered if uh, they had, um, if those people writing those programs, how long it had been since they'd been in, <laughs> on the floor to plant. Uh, uh -huh. knowing what to do uh -huh. so uh -huh. <laughs> yeah yep. the reality yep. uh, mm -hmm. so from there um i knew i was you know because i spent about five six years there and i knew i was ready to to lead right and so um just the we had our our manager had left um had retired and everyone was kind of you know moving up and so um i took the opportunity to to kind of look outside because my my colleague was going to get the the manager position um he was a great guy he'd been there for a long time and, uh, and, and really, you know, deserved the role. It was really his to take over. Um, mm -hmm. So I looked out and I, I started as a EHS manager with a small company called, well, not small company, but a company called Covidian, which was a medical device manufacturer. Um, and they did, um, they did like stents and stuff like that for veins. So we started, I started at that facility um, and really, you know, kind of took my management system knowledge that I had and, and implemented it there with um, with some guidance from their corporate team and their corporate team had a had a you know another fantastic management system uh, a little bit different than Honeywell's but um, you know really well thought out uh, and identified and laid out and so I was able to kind of use their playbook and and some of my previous knowledge and really advance the site I remember you know when I interviewed there the the plant manager had said hey listen you know on a scale of, of you know zero to ten in terms of EHS culture and programs. We're a minus three. So, if if you want oh. this job, you got your you're gonna have your uh, your work cut out for you. Yeah, um, and it was they. You know they. Uh, I, you know the first couple of weeks I was there, I was reviewing everything and um, you know kind of just threw everything in the garbage and started from scratch. Yeah, what did that feel like for you? I mean, you you walked into especially at Honeywell. It sounds like some really developed plans that you were able to run with and you know sh shine and make make great and here you're starting kind of from scratch what what was that like for you professionally uh long hours um yeah. very busy right because so as i rolled out this management system which was new to these guys so the facility i took over had been purchased had been acquired by covidian uh they were the company before was called ev3 and so they were a startup as ev3 and then they got bought out by Covidian. So they went from a standalone plant that was mm -hmm. was doing really well financially to now being part of a larger company. And uh, at the time, because they were doing so well, corporate had kind of delayed the rollout of the EHS management system with them. And so I was really their first introduction to, uh, you know, real EHS, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, so we we just put a plan together. And, and I, I know I had to stay kind of on top of the leaders, um, you know, they, they still struggled with, you know, some OSHA recordables and they had, you know, some, uh, they had a couple environmental things that, that needed to be shored up and tightened up that they were doing. And it was, um, I, I concentrated on building the base of the management system and, and continued to assure them that, you know, let me build the base. I'll, we'll deal with the, the fires as they kind of pop up, right? We'll deal with the, the, the noise and the headaches. But eventually if we can, if, if we can just dedicate the time to build the system the right way, eventually it'll work itself out. And so um, from a, 
a perspective from just you know the, the OSHA recordability rates. I think when I started, they were in the sixes. Um, by the time I left, we were you know under 0.5. Um, you know, they had, we had done some work on our, uh, hazardous waste. Uh, they had some things that we could easily, um, we, you know, little to no treatment to, um, that we could then just discharge in our, as part of our wastewater permit. And and I think out of the first year, the first two years, we saved $85,000 a year in hazardous waste costs. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. John, when, when you use the term management system and that you're setting up a management system for our listeners who might not, who are maybe wondering, I wonder what John's talking about. Like, what are the elements of that manage? What would you mind giving a little brief on, on what that meant at that time to you? And when you use that term? Yeah. So a management systems to me is all the checks and balances in your environmental health and safety programs that allow them to run autonomously. And it's kind of a weird thing to say, like my, you know, in layman's terms, my goal at the end of the day, when I implement a proper uh, management system is that it runs without me. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, you are, you know, when, when you ask that question, when you step into a room and say, you know, who's responsible for safety, not everybody should point at the safety person. Right. right. And so the management system, what it does is, like I said, it's it's checks and balances. And I I kind of have mine broken down, you know, through it's a little bit of, of Honeywell, a little bit of Covidian um, that I've used in my current role when we kind of get to talking with Harmon. Um, and, yeah. and there's eight pillars to it for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'll kind of go. So pillar one is the program management and accountability. And that's kind of your 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 overall arching policy and uh, your accountability if you have any kind of safety discipline rules that you want to follow to make sure that um, rules are being applied consistently and fair. Number two is risk assessment and auditing. Um, you know, pretty straightforward, right? That's where, you, you know, kind of your risk assessments and, and your job hazard analysis might be and any kind of requirements you have for auditing your facility or, or having, you know, leadership, you know, perform those audits. Um, in mm-hmm. three, that's my risk control program. So that's kind of your traditional safety programs like a hazard communication and a fall protection, machine guarding, that sort of thing. Um, Number four is employee engagement and communication. That's where I capture stuff like behavior-based safety, um, safety committees, any kind of safety alerts or, you know, email communications, you know, kind of publications that I have. Uh, Number Mm -hmm. five is training. That's where we have a, you know, you have a training matrix in there and then you might have your, your content. Six, emergency preparedness and response you know, all your drills, your evacuation plans, that sort of thing. Uh, seven is incident management. Uh, and, you know, that's a big one, right? How do you, mm-hmm. um, how are you going to document, report, do all those things? And then the last one's a little bit of a catch-all and, and that's um, legal and other requirements. So mm-hmm. a lot of my regulatory reporting goes in that one. Um, some of my OSHA stuff uh, goes in there. Uh, and that's, that's kind of how I lay it out. So um, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. So when I, so, you know, kind of as I get to, to, to the Harmon piece, um, when I first started with Harmon, um, and I'll kind of backtrack here in a second, but when I first started with yeah. Harmon and, you know, I say, okay, well, you know, where's your guys' safety information? And I get a, you know, a internet folder that's got, you know, 37 folders for various things and no rhyme or yeah. reason where stuff goes. Um, yeah. And then taking that and transitioning it into this, this you know, kind of eight point eight yeah, management mm-hmm. system and laid out. Now I know, now I know, and all of my staff know exactly where everything is supposed to be, right? There's, there's no questions in terms of, and I don't allow 
extra folders outside of those eight, right? Well, and it makes it easier to evaluate where you are in a company as well. You know, especially if you're stepping into a new role, if you look at these eight, your eight points here, then you're like, okay, we've got this, we've got this, oh, missing this, missing, you know, like our bucket is like 50% full here or 100% full there. Yeah, it's it's super yeah. easy using that layout to perform a gap analysis, right? Yeah. Here, here's what we need, right? You can, when I lay it out and when I brought it to Harmon, I said, okay, these are the things that I had done, you know, that were requirements within within Honeywell, within uh, Medtronic, Covidian, but you can take this to any company and I can say, okay, out of all these, I know this doesn't apply, this doesn't apply, this doesn't apply, but the rest of these apply. Mm -hmm. And then you can go about building a plan on how to uh, develop and roll all those things out. Beautiful. Beautiful. You could teach that around the country, John. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, thank you for the offshoot there. So you're 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 at Covidian, yep. right? Is where we were in the story. Yeah. Again. So the the success I had at the plant uh, certainly garnered attention from the corporate folks. Uh, so I was quickly promoted uh, to a corporate position. I had uh, basically the western half of the United States for um, one of their product lines. And so I had, you know, nine facilities wow. from, you know, kind of Minnesota through Colorado um, and then down in through, you know, northern and southern California. Um, and so I kind of managed those those programs and those facilities. And then we were purchased by Medtronic, which uh, you know, <laughs> is a for, for people in Minnesota. Medtronic is a big name. Uh, I come to find out it's not quite as big when you get outside Minnesota. Um, especially outside medical device, but um, homegrown company. Um, and so during that conversion, um, we had, uh, there were a number of, you know, you know, kind of jockeying for positions, if you will. Um, and so I was, I ended up getting a promotion, but had to go back to a, a site level, um, which at the time worked out really well for me. Um, you know, going from, from a corporate position where I had multiple facilities to a single one was a little bit different. But uh, yeah. we, I, it was the largest, one of the largest manufacturing plants for Medtronic. Um, and so it was, we had 1,700 people, 24-7 uh, operations, and we made all of the, uh, the battery devices um, for the, a lot of the, the Medtronic devices that are there. And so mm -hmm. super rewarding. Uh, we had, um, you know, I was part of the executive leadership team there. Um, we had things like we they had quality day, right? And so during quality day, they would bring in uh, patients that had Medtronic devices and they would get to tell their stories and they would get to meet the workers uh, that actually put their devices together. And wow. yeah, it was how, gra how gratifying. Yeah, it was so cool. Um, one of the ladies was, was from a, a small Minnesota town, uh, Litchfield. Um, again, you, you, you listeners will have to grab a map. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very, very close to where I am yeah. right now. <laughs> and she was a, um, she was a, a cat engineer and she had developed, uh, deep brain tremors. And so with that, you know, she had you know, kind of spasms in her, her hand where, you know, using CAD just became, you know, unattainable, right? She, she couldn't do that, that mm -hmm. type of work. And yeah. with the, um, with a deep brain stimulator that Medtronic had used in, in the, you know, the, the electronics and the battery coming from our facility, uh, we 
was able to her to really to get her life back. And she explained this journey that she had and they have the ability to, so when they charge her device, they have the ability to kind of turn it on and turn it off. And she had shown us, she'd taken a sheet of paper and, and kind of started in the middle and, you know, made a small circle to a bigger circle to a bigger circle without lifting the pen up. Right. And yeah. when she shut the device off, she shook so bad that you could not tell, you know, kind of what she was drawing and then she would turn it back on and her hand steadied right away and she could make this beautiful wow. circle. So, wow. I mean, the employees at your plant must just, they must have felt so like my work matters. Every, every, every 1700, all 1700 people it's, make this possible. Yeah. And they, so when Covidian and Medtronic joined, uh, they developed a stat. They figured out um, the amount of products that we have in, you know, across the world. And uh, two patients every second are uh, newly affected by a Medtronic device. Wow. So. That is fantastic. Yeah. What a, what a, what a, what a great place to work. It was. It was, it was the uh, very rewarding place to work there. So, um, so then on to the next step. So then, uh, as you know, as I'm, I'm managing that, I was, this, I was a senior manager there, um, very successful facility, ISO 14,001 certified, OSAS 18,001 certified. Um, I was ready for the, for the next step. And so the, the, for me, that was a, a director level position. Uh, we had a couple of the senior, um, senior directors and our VP had retired from Medtronic at the corporate level. And so the expectation was, um, everyone was going to, you know, kind of shuffle their way up. So I was mentoring with one of the, um, with actually with Covidian's former um, vice president of EHS, who took a role as, as a senior global director um, in Medtronic during the, uh, during the integration and the acquisition mm -hmm. or whatever. And um, it was just, you know, big companies, right? It, it just takes a little bit longer. And, you know, do we really need that position? And, you know, as, as you know, and, and you know, some of your listeners know that, you know, sometimes it's not always it's always easy to explain our positions um, and, and the usefulness that they provide uh, right. for companies. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was getting delayed. And it was kind of going on 18 months um, of, of being delayed for those positions to kind of uh, reopen and reshuffle. And so at the time, I decided that, uh, you know, I was kind of ready for that next challenge. And so um, through LinkedIn and some recruiters. Uh, I decided to interview at a position at Harman, where, where I'm currently at. And they, Harman had, um, they, they'd done okay in safety in the past, um, but they had traditionally used kind of iron workers turned safety professional uh, who, you know, went, took some OSHA classes and, you know, and they, they did okay. They did okay. But the leadership yeah. team really wanted to kind of take it to the next level. Um, and what could they really do? with, you know, some like someone who's professionally trained um, in, in some of this stuff. And so I know when I interviewed I that management system that I had described, I'd, I'd laid it all out in terms of, you know, kind of made my own tweaks from from Honeywell, Covidian and Medtronic management systems and say, if, if I ever led, this is this is how I would roll it out. And um, so when I came to the interview, I came very prepared. I actually had the management system um, kind of laid out in details under each of those those eight uh, uh, structures. Yeah, what goes in each of yeah, them. Yeah, and kind of explained out. I had those, um, I made bound copies. I think I made like six or eight bound copies that I brought in with me and 
you know, kind of reviewed with the leaders and, uh, you know, and they were, they were, this yeah, they were impressed. Is, John, this is going to be a podcast episode that we're going to want to share with, uh, with uh, people who are applying for work in safety. So we're going to have to, I'll have to reach out to Dr. Lusheen at the University of Wisconsin Whitewater and say, hey, maybe share this episode <laughs> with students who are looking for work. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, it, it was, um, yeah. you know, kind of going backwards to that, uh, that SESHA conference when, when I was a student and I, I interviewed and got hired. Uh, the following year I had gone and I had got some of the University of Minnesota Duluth um, students a chance to interview with EORM at the time. They had a couple openings. And I remember sitting there thinking like, like, just provide examples, just provide examples. Like, hey, tell me about a time of this. It doesn't always have to be like super safety related, but if you can provide examples of how you've done things, uh, I, I remember listening to them and, and you know, a couple of the, the, the kids, right? Their kids interviewing were like, mm-hmm. like that and stuff like that and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I just explain it. Don't yeah, say just that. Explain yeah. the situation. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so there you are at Harmon and you've got essentially you're, you're disseminating folders with yes. <laughs> bound, bound folders. Bound folders. Yeah, okay. um, so I came prepared. Mm-hmm. So I, I got the, so as I came super prepared, um, I remember it was funny. I was interviewing with um, the senior vice president, who's our, our current vice president now. And, and I was kind of giving my history and, and he's like, uh, you know, I, I brought up the hockey stuff and he's because um, it was a big part of my life. He's like, oh, you're a hockey guy. Our, our president played for Gustavus College, um, which is in southern <laughs> Minnesota. He's like, you're a hockey guy. He's going to hire you anyways. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Did Gustavus play? Uh, yeah, Augsburg. Yeah, they were. Augsburg. Yep, they were in the same uh, same league, actually. That's so funny. but he was obviously much, much older than me. But um, so, yeah, so I accepted the position and. Um, you know, just kind of did that same thing, right? I, I started, uh, like I talked about, I, I started by taking a look at, um, you know, what they had going on and, and where the program was and really where they needed to go. And I, I think the biggest part of, of what they needed was um, the incident management system. And, and, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, we've done a paper and a webinar on, on the uh, incident management system that I implemented. And so, um, but that was just one section of the the management system that I had rolled out, and it's um, it's been fantastic. We've uh, we've continued to to grow and we've continued to break um, records. So in terms of you know OSHA recordable, which I'm not a super big fan of, it's a bit archaic. But um, yeah, we've mm-hmm. went Agreed. so when I started, we were in the mid fours, which is pretty average for um, you know they kind of match their industry average. Uh, la- where we've in the last three years, we've broken their their best safety records back to back to back years. Yay! Yeah, so we were down. Congratulations! Thank you. We were down to a one point two last year. Wow. Um, and so, and with that, one of the you know a couple of the other things that I've implemented and um, you know kind of developed through through Honeywell and Medtronic is I developed a a performance index, mm. which is a mix of leading and lagging indicators. Yes, please talk about that. This is th- these are things that vex many a safety professional. So the program that I developed is a it's a hundred point scale, um, and it has five components. And so we said, what are those? What are those five things that that I can measure? And at Harmon, I have both um, construction projects and I have manufacturing. And so one of the challenges that that my president gave is like he wanted one number that could you know apply to both. So I can't, okay. I, you know, I can't do, I can't try to 
measure something that's important in manufacturing if it doesn't apply to the field. Okay. So the five pillars we had that we ended up coming to, um, the first one is OSHA recordables. And so we, we took a look and tried to figure out, well, does that mean, should we take a look at it from a, a rate standpoint or just uh, OSHA recordables themselves? Because our regions and our plants are different sizes. So then it becomes mm -hmm. a numbers game of, okay, well, what? How do you compare one to the yeah. other? Yeah. So we just went with just pure numbers. So you get, you know, you get 20 points. So each of these five pillars, you get 20 points is the max. And then there's a scale. It scales down um, depending on, on what that, that is. So for OSHA recordables, if you, if you don't have any or you have one OSHA recordable, you, you get all 20 points. Uh, if you have more than, if you have two, then you get 15 points. If you have three, then it goes down to five points. And if you have more than three, you don't get any points for that category. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other four categories are all leading indicators. So the first one is um, on-time um, injury reporting and investigations. So we have a 24-hour requirement in our, um, our incident management system that we have, um, timestamps these. So I, we can tell when it was reported, and then we can also tell you know, when the investigation got completed on time. So, mm -hmm. so again, so we, for the rest of these, we use a 75%, you know, 100% gets 20 points, 75, <clears throat> greater than 75% gets 15 points, greater than 50% gets five points, and less than 50% gets zero points. So mm -hmm. we track each region in each plant every single month, they get a score, and then it's cumulative. So mm -hmm. you, your score starts January 1, just like the OSHA log, and ends December 31st. So so we have OSHA recordables and then um, incident reporting and investigations. The next one is our sa safety committees. So when I first started at Harmon, um, the monthly safety committees for each of the plants and the nine uh, or our five manufacturing areas, so a total of nine, it wasn't always you know consistently done month to month as it should have been. And so we identified that for this month as, as or this year as, as something we wanted to concentrate on, and they've done a great job of turning it around. Um, <laughs> so number so they get points every month uh, if they if they hold their safety committee meetings, and they've come a long long way. So to be honest, next year we'll probably have to change that category out because it's getting a little easy for them. Sure, sure, yeah they they've got a they've got a system going, and I bet you have like uh, things that you want them to do and accomplish mm -hmm. in that committee. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, the next one is our corrective action closure. So from our incident management system, we have automatic corrective actions that are generated and then um, from like audits. And then if they have findings from some of their, uh, if there's injuries or near misses or whatever. So making sure that the corrective actions get closed on time is a big deal. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and like I, I tell my leaders is, you know, if you have a corrective action, so it, it defaults, a lot of them default to three days plus current. So they get four days to kind of close most of them. But if they need additional time, uh, I don't mind, you know, extending dates, right? We're not going to let them sandbag it and say, yeah, give me, you know, I have to update a JHA, give me, you know, three months. That's not going to fly. But um, the way I explain it to them is I'm like, as long as you call me and say, hey, these three are, we're going to be late on these three. Can you extend the dates? Then it doesn't impact their performance index. And what I, but what I don't want them to do is, is not know they're in there, right? It's like the college kid that says, all right, I'm pretty sure I'm negative in my, my checking account, but if I don't log in and I don't look at it, <laughs> then I don't know I'm negative, <laughs> yep. right? 
So, oh, yes. so I do that with, I know this. Yeah. So we use, <laughs> I use that same analogy when I try to explain of like, just understand what you have in the system. And if we need to make adjustments, we can make adjustments. Um, and then that last category, that fifth category is our audits. So we have audit requirements for our plant managers, for our shop managers and manufacturing. And then in the field for our general managers, our, uh, our site superintendents, and then our, our project managers. And so they have, um, we've detailed out, they know what the requirements are. When we first rolled this out, it was very interesting because these things were expected to be, you know, these were, what we started measuring were things that were supposed to be getting done and we kind of expected them to get done. We just never sh shined a light on it to see if all the regions and all the plants were actively getting their stuff closed on time, if the audits were being done on time. Um, yeah. In that first month out of the pilot, there was lots of reds and yellows, right? lots of, you know, scores of fives and zeros. And, and when I first reported on it and, and all the leaders knew that, you know, we were going to start looking at this and we we're going to change over to this performance index. And uh, the president is on the, we're on the WebEx meeting and the president is, is telling, you know, all the leaders like, listen, don't call John after we get off the call. He's not going to change your numbers. I just expect you to get better. Um, and, and now we are mostly, you know, we started fresh. So I, I gave them, September through the end of December as our kind of our pilot. And then we started with a fresh score, uh, January one, and uh, almost all of my plants are all twenties and fifteens, um, in terms of their scoring. So their cumulative score out of that hundred, um, you know, we have a couple of regions and plants that are at a hundred still. Um, and then most, I don't think anybody is, we have one, one region that's a 75. Um, they had a small string of injuries, but the rest of all those leading indicators are all fifteens and twenties. Um, wow. And you you have them report on this monthly? So we run the report monthly and I give them their feedback. I give them their score monthly. So they, they get a month score and then they get their cumulative score. So let's say, yep. let's say one month they had, you know, 15 audits that needed to get done and, and they got 13 of them done. And then the next month they got all 15 out of 15. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that would be, you know, 28 out of 30, right, would be their cumulative score. And then each month um, we, we just kind of keep the stats running. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing this has pleased your management team because he, that your management team wanted a number. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And then how do the other leaders that report in on those things, how are they, did it? Yeah. I guess, was it a grind or is it like, thanks, you gave me some guardrails? Uh, a little of both. Um, okay. You know, so I still get, uh, there are, less and less surprises now and especially like on the the corrective actions when i run the report right it used to be all right there's you know 30 of them were late this month across the country uh now i just ran you know may's report a couple days ago at the close of the month and i think six we had six corrective actions that went late across the country wow. um and wow. so it makes it just it makes the scoring easier uh yeah. and so we reported this and so uh, Harmon actually reports to a parent company called Apogee, which is, is based in, uh, in the, the twin cities of Minnesota as well. And they have a single guy that's kind of in charge of, um, risk management and insurance. And so, um, you know, we started presenting, um, my manager during his executive committees with, with, uh, with Harmon CEO or with Apogee CEO, um, started reporting on this and introduced this concept and, uh, Lo and behold, starting this fiscal year now, um, 
everybody <laughs> seems to have a perf- all the other business units have a performance index that that looks shamelessly like the one that I, I developed and rolled that out. That is that is that is awesome. And you know, I I'm I'm just gonna guess here that once you get these, you know, you have your five point scale developed, and then there's going to be fingers that you find out, you know, that need correction, like the just the corrective action closure system. If you find out like, oh, we have a a hole in maintenance that's fixing some of these, like, you know, something was identified, it needed to be repaired, fixed, maintained, put on a capital improvement prod, you know, budget, something like that. You're able to kind of go down those various rabbit holes and find where there may be gaps in, in other systems as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, it wasn't only a flashlight in terms of, uh, you know, looking and making sure that things were getting done, but it just gives you more of an in-depth look, right? You're able to find yeah. those hotspots for, yep. in, it, you know, to be honest, right? For a program that we've, we've developed in a management system that we've rolled out and it's, it looks, you know, it looks well like we were doing all these things, right? You know, back to back to back safety records. But then when we go look to see all these leading indicators and it shows, whoa, we are, we are really red and orange. Are, are we just getting lucky with, um, with that safety metric, with that OSHA recordable, or are we yeah. really driving the right behaviors and changing behaviors in the business um, to get mm-hmm. better? And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. using the performance index gives me a light to say, are we actively making changes? Are we being transformational in the work we're doing, or are we just kind of skating by and, you know, it was, it was a, you know, quote unquote lucky year. Yeah. Fabulous. The, this is great. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing all of that. Mm. Yeah, so um, I'm thinking about you have been as as you've been talking and sharing your 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 career path, which is pretty darn amazing, John. Um, I picked up on a couple of things that you were talking about. I mean, you've developed a lot of things on your own, but I heard you talking about mentors and um you know when when you were making decisions to change jobs or come up with ways to present yourself for the next job those are things that not everybody has in terms of like soft skills and figuring out how to do those kind of kind of things um what would you like to say about the importance of having soft skills what does that mean to you how do you develop that and I also want to hear about mentors because I heard you talk about it a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I think to me, soft skills is um, can really, I, I wouldn't want to say make or break, but it is the ability to um, enhance your career as a safety professional. Um, you know, I, I truly believe the, the reason to my success was um, my ability to, uh, to adapt, to influence, um, to collaborate. And we at the University of Minnesota Duluth program, um, and, and you and I talked about this a little bit before, is they've, they have added a soft skills class. And so in the program, we had you know one class that was not dedicated to regulations or ventilation or you know environmental regs. It was just dedicated to developing your soft skills and being able to to portray that because we know as safety professionals, it's difficult to, to, to always get buy-in, um, mm-hmm. to always find the, the, the right position or um, to get the, the leadership support. It's, 
it's not always the easiest at every company you go to. Um, right. And I've, I've had those roles in, in certain plants and in certain situations where it was hard, right? It was, it was difficult in, um, in how to navigate that. And I would say, um, because I, you know, you can really teach, um, you know, most people get, can figure out regulations fairly easy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is a very nerdy thing that off the top of my head that I know the, uh, the, um, respiratory protection standard is 1910 134 like just because yep. I, i've read it you know 27 million times um, yeah but, we're, we're nerds in that regard yes. yeah but <laughs> now, now taking that and, and conveying that and, and you know really the 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 being able to to take the art and the science of ehs and be successful explaining that to leadership positions um that don't understand that and so um we talked about like, you know, there's Deming and there's, you know, the, the, the habits of highly successful people. We spent a lot of time on that sort of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then just some personal work. I mean, kind of through, through my hockey background, uh, I've done a lot of hockey coaching. Um, I've attended some USA hockey coaching seminars where, you know, I've um, had, had the chance to listen to some, some NHL coaches present and talk about some fantastic books that they've read. Um, one of, one of my favorites is called The Culture Code. Um, mm-hmm. It just kind of talks about how successful groups operate and how people lead those groups and the ability to identify, you know, kind of certain situations and how you apply yourself. And um, I've always tried to, um, you know, continue to, f- to find opportunities um, that kind of push my comfort zone and be willing to, to say, hey, you know, I, this is an area I could use help in, you know, how do, mm-hmm. how do I continue to do this? And I would say what I tried to do along my career is, is pick those things, those leaders, whether, you know, they were my direct manager or not, or they were just, you know, someone in the, in organization that I looked up to and say, okay, what, what is it about that person that I want to emulate to myself? What, what do I think that they do that inspires me and, and how can I use how can I take that look and, and what can I do and how can I apply that to my situation? Mm-hmm. Um, same. We've done the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in a lot of those situations, right? I mean, I think the biggest is, um, is the ability when, you know, it, as I've, as I've, you know, kind of got to that manager level and I've had staff and, and I've had a lot of success, you know, in, in various roles, um, along my career path, but I've always been the first one to, to step aside and I always say, no, 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 it's, you know, these are the people behind me that, yeah. that drove this change right um that, that these successes are based on these people not me because you, you certainly can't do it alone um and then on the, the the flip side is uh you know whenever there was a problem um whether it was my fault or not i you know i as a manager you have to be the one to step up and say nope that that was that was my responsibility you know i'm in charge of this team um yeah. and be able to take responsibility and, and i think that ability to say you know, whether a program failed or a gap was missed or whatever. And, and just understanding that, yeah, I, you know, that, that didn't, uh, that didn't work, didn't go as planned. That was a miss on our part. We will, you know, mm-hmm. fix it and, and continue to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, Show your humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're, we're going through it right now. One of the, um, one, one system in particular that we kind of rolled out last year, just, it's not working. And, um, you know, we, I, I've told the leadership team, like, yeah, this, it's just not as, 
it, it, the program's not going the way I envisioned it to go. And so we're, you know, we're going to change directions and, and we're going to try something else um, mm-hmm. and being able to do that. But yeah, I think um, being able to relate to people and understanding, you know, so kind of one of the, the benefits I've had in a number of these roles is um, the ability to do some of the, um, the, uh, the testing that for your, what type of your personality type. Yeah, right. sure. Or your strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the strengths and weaknesses. And, and you know, so I, I remember the one we did at Medtronic is, um, you know, my my personality type is um, be right, be quick, be gone or something like that. <laughs> and, and, and I can see that. And I know I struggle with that even in my staff meetings and, and with my one on ones with with my staff is, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I just want the quick points. And so I have to, you know, I leave that on the front of my desk so that I, I continually read it and I slow down mm-hmm. um, and I make sure that, that my, my staff feels felt, you know, they, they feel heard, mm-hmm. they feel understood. And um, again, but it's, it, it's always, I would say it's one of those things where if you're not changing, you're getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the world mm-hmm. will pass you by. So yeah. just constantly always kind of investing in, in yourself can go such a long way. That's right. Yeah. When, you, when, um, when I went through the graduate program that you and I both um, went through, we didn't, we didn't have that. I graduated a number of years before you did, so they hadn't figured that out yet. But, you know, for our listeners who are thinking, you know, I'm asking for professional development and, you know, we might think, oh, that's going to a conference or that's getting us further certification these soft skills that John is talking about are just as important, just as important. And you mentioned, um, John, you mentioned a book that you like. Say the name of it again. The Culture Code. The Culture Code. All right. Do you have Do you have others that you'd like to suggest or name drop? Um, that is by far my favorite, favorite? off the mm-hmm. top of my head. So yeah, I, I uh, yeah, yeah. I have to go back and look through the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might. Um, you might also like since since you're a sports guy, hockey guy. Um, there's another leadership book called Wolfpack uh, that was written by Abby Wambach, um, uh, soccer Olympian. Okay. Um, a, a another good uh, leadership book. Yeah. So um, mentors. So developing developing self developing self through training, uh, soft skills training. Some of the books we're talking about. Gosh, mentors fall in that category, don't they? They do. Um, and I've had, you know, I've been lucky to have some great ones. Like I, I mentioned one that I, um, in my early days in at URM um, out in Southern California, who I still stay in contact with uh, out there. And so, um, you know, there's, uh, there, there's probably like three or four off the top of my mind that I, you know, they've, um, two have since retired and I still reach out. Um, you know, w- one of my colleagues at, at Honeywell, um, and I think at least two or three times a year, we, we reach out to each other and still go grab lunch and, and kind of catch up. And even though there's an age gap, there's still, um, you know, there's still things you can learn from people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other things that, that a, um, a gal who worked for me at Medtronic, which I thought was a fantastic idea is she would set up, um, you know, kind of a, a lunch and learn. She'd, um, reach out to various leaders that were outside of EHS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and spend time with them and get to know their career paths and, and ideas of, you know, kind of what went well in their careers and what didn't go well and um, constantly learning. And so once a month, she would just, she'd pick a different leader and at Medtronic, um, she has the benefit of, of having 
several um, different facilities that are, are fairly close within the Twin Cities area. Um, and so she, you know, some of those were outside of the building and she would use, you know, maybe one to set up a meeting with another um, and just have lunch and just kind of pick their brains and, and have someone that you can relate to. Yeah. Um, you know, even through through LinkedIn, I've I've had some people, um, you know, the, uh, recently a, uh, there was a EHS engineer from Honeywell that we'd kind of crossed paths when I was leaving there and when she, when she was starting. And then she was looking at a position at Medtronic and she's like, you know, hey, what do you think? Um, you know, how's the culture? How's this sort of thing? And, and just mm -hmm. being able to, um, to to reach out to someone and, and have conversations. It just, it, it's, don't be alone in your journey, if I have anything to say, right? Yeah. Um, use people, ask questions. Um, even, you know, even if you're introverted, right? There's there's still people, you know, you get some courage and, in, in, you know, kind of ask for help. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to ask 20 people, but if you find a good one or two mm -hmm. um that you know you can rely on it can make a big difference in, in how your career develops along the way. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. You know, John, as as and I know we're we're running short on we're starting to run short on time, but um, you know, you've laid out this beautiful eight point eight point uh, management system, the your five points for leading and lagging indicators, you know, so many <laughs> so much of our of our professional practice is back a few centuries when it comes um, to technology <laughs> and, you know, maybe doing things, uh, you know, with duct tape and paper clips. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that some of what you've implemented actually takes some technology and some things that are better without. Do you want to talk about like, like how did you figure out how to attack things using 21st century tools? Um, or is that too big of a question? <laughs> We got another hour to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll have you back. Um, yeah. No, I think there are, right, th there are certain times when it, it, a lot of it, I think, is is knowing your audience and what you need and what you want, right? So when it mm -hmm. comes to um, technology and, and things like, right, the incident management system that I implemented, right, that has a, that's a cloud-based solution with, um, with an application, you know, an app on a mobile phone where, you know, now I can have people submit injuries. They can do their audits on it. Um, I get, you know, I can set up automatic notifications. Um, we can have, and, you can, and they can meet those corrective, those deadlines like you're talking about. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, right. And so for us at Harmon, it was a big deal because, uh, we have, I have four manufacturing plants and I have, you know, 19 to 20 some active construction projects going on across the country at any one time. And so before I started, the way that that was done is, you know, if somebody got hurt, it would be, you know, an email or they had some paper forms and then they would take a picture a phone of it. call. Yeah, mm -hmm. or a phone call. Yeah. And some of the information just didn't quite get it. So we would have instances where, you know, somebody might have gotten, you know, had a significant near miss in the Baltimore region and because it didn't get communicated in a timely manner, we didn't adjust and fix that gap in our process. And then maybe somebody got hurt down in Texas. And, and we would- From the same thing. From the mm -hmm. same exact thing. And we would have known about it had we had a chance to, to use technology um, and advance that, right? Um, yeah. And so with our parent company, uh, Apogee, there, these other business units that we have aren't exactly like Harmon. We're the only ones that, that really have- um, construction projects in the field. And so 
when I started there, um, what they were using was a, a SharePoint system um, that was it was not nearly you know as technologically advanced, but for them, a lot of the other business units have one, maybe two manufacturing facilities, right? Mm -hmm. So the the level of uh, sophistication didn't quite need to be there, right? It was they they're in four walls. So if someone got hurt in one spot, it's easier to communicate that. And so right. when I brought the idea of, of going to this um, incident management software and, and I showed them and a lot of them were, yeah, that's fantastic. That works, you know, kind of way better than our homegrown system that we have. Um, and then we got to cost and they're like, oh no, my leader's not gonna spend that much money. Um, mm -hmm. And it wasn't, I mean, it's really, it's not really that, that much in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but it was, it, they just, they didn't see the need based on what the money was and maybe what that effort would be to, to implement something like that, where I, sure. I had that, that yep. leadership backing that basically said, yeah, just give us a ballpark of what you think this is going to cost so that we can make sure we appropriately budget for it. But this is, this is something that we need and, and we couldn't, we couldn't survive on the, on the old homegrown system that they had had. Um, right. So yeah, just, yeah. Uh, there, like I said, we could go on. We know. could, we could absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. I yeah. appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, well, this might be my final question. Um, do you still play hockey? Uh, <laughs> I coach a lot. Um, okay. Yeah. I have, I have two sons that are in hockey and so I've, I've continued to coach along the way. Um, I had been playing in, uh, I, I gave up the competitive men's league a while ago. Okay. Um, you know, there are some younger kids that are, are still living out their glory days and get a little too competitive for, for my nature as I, yeah. as I get older. But uh, pre-COVID, you know, I, I still skated in. There was a, a Wednesday night um, just to pick up hockey for, for the – my wife likes to call it geriatric hockey, but um, <laughs> we're not, we're not oh, that Geriatric old. hockey where you can keep your, your, your moneymaker, your brain yeah. um, safe, safe and, right? And, yeah, mm -hmm. and, you know <laughs> – as a safety professional, I, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I do not wear a, a face mask when I play hockey. What? Uh, yeah, that, that's probably northern Minnesota of me. Yeah, right. It's um, because you grew up on the Iron Range. <laughs> yeah. I, I just tell my wife it's not like I'm getting any prettier. So, <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, we so pre-COVID, we were, we were skating on Wednesday nights and then COVID hit. Um, I think they started back up, um, I, I want to say in the last couple of months, but I'm not, uh, I haven't got a chance to get out there with all the coaching I was doing. Hmm. Well, John, from one Minnesotan to another, gosh, I sure appreciate everything you've shared today. This has been this has been wonderful. We we're gonna have to share this with our alma mater. Yes. Get yeah, UMD grads. Um, we're gonna we're we've mentioned our graduate school so often. We definitely have to have to share with this with them. And I, sh I so appreciate the time. Today. Yeah, absolutely. Do you ever, do you ever get a chance to get up there? I've, I've been up a couple of times and, um, I've just spoken to the class, the classes that are there and, and just done a yeah. kind of day in the life. It's, uh, it's pretty I've fun. done the, yeah, I've done the same, but it's been, it's been years. I've been to the campus in the last couple of years with my own child, you know, on college tours and things. And then of course have to walk through the department and say, you know, like this is where all the safety nerds are made <laughs> like right here. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, John, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure. Mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm. And thank you for spending your time listening today. And more importantly, thank you for your contribution toward the common good, making sure your workers, including your temporary workers, make it home safe every day. If you aren't subscribed and want to hear past and future episodes, you can subscribe in iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or any other podcast player you'd like. We'd love it if you could leave a rating and review us on iTunes. It really helps us connect the show with more and more safety and health professionals like John and I. Special thanks to Naeem Jiraisi, our podcast producer. And until next time, thanks for listening.